To a new RFM at 12 past 12, we're heading for Thursday Finance. Barry Preston joining me, Jane Klein. And today we're going to look at aged care and the new rules that apply there with local solicitor Lynn Lucas. We'll also have a market snapshot with Henry Jennings and Barry will bring us up to date on the state of commodities. Thursday finance with Barry Preston and, well, we've had the first Tuesday in the month. Nothing much has changed. Nothing much has changed. Even when you look at the markets and all these sort of things that do fluctuate, in, in a you know ups and, ups and downs quite considerably sometimes, and when you look at that and you see that the situation that's in the that the world appears to be in, remember we once upon a time we never got this news so quickly. I mean things happen and we've got it within minutes. Um, the markets are quite resilient. They're they're, they're very stable. Um, the Dow continues to reach for the sky. I think there might have been a movie once upon a time, reach for the sky. And uh, I think one of the biggest challenges we face, and I don't care what anyone says, there is a property bubble. I mean, you can see it as clear as crystal. The property prices have gone a lot beyond what people can afford. So, And they're still going up. A lot of foreign buyers, people say, oh, that's not right. Well, I, I challenge them to prove that it's not. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Mm, we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. Okay, let's have a look at the commodities. Gold has had a well, a small drop of, of $20 to 1354 Australian, which is equivalent to 1265 US an ounce. Silver, $20.45. Very little change there, not even half a half a, a dollar, not even 50 cents over the week. Copper, that uh, went down $148 to 7416 per tonne Australian. The nickel is up 248 to 20344 and when you look at the price at the big, at the end of July it was 20264 so there's you know there are ups and downs but it's quite stable if you looked at it on a graph the graph wouldn't be jumping around too much. Tin took a little bit of a hit it was down 1.8% to 22805 so that's down about just under two thousand uh, dollars since the beginning. Well, sorry, since the end of July. Currencies. Well, the Australian dollar strengthened against most of the currencies, and the biggest one, of course, is the uh, the New Zealand. Uh, we've strengthened a bit there. Now, since the beginning of uh, August, we're up nearly two cents. In other words, we would we can buy more New Zealand cents per our dollar than we could have uh, back then. It's 112.2 uh, to the Australian dollar, the New Zealand. And the US, very little change there, 93.38 last week, 93.3. The British pence, 56.7 British pence to the Australian dollar. And we've increased a possible half a cent there over the week. And the Chinese yuan renminbi, no change. Exactly the same as last week, 5.73. This week, 5.73. And as we said, the New Zealand is the one that uh, we've strengthened more against than any. The euro, yes, we're up a little bit there. We now get approximately 71.05 euro cents to the Australian dollar. And the Canadian dollar, 101.7. The currencies have been quite stable, really. When you hear, but when you hear about it on the news every day, it looks as though they're up, it looks as though they're down, but they're quite stable. I'm predicting that the Australian dollar will start to head down because um, our economy is uh, not tanking, but it's, it's str- not struggling either. But our terms of trade, we're importing and paying more for the things we're exporting, and uh, that can uh, push the price of the Australian dollar down, I think. Mm. Now, if you're heading, I know you're not heading there, of course, Egypt. 
No, not heading to Egypt, Jane? <laughs> not not, not at, at the, the moment. moment. Right. Well, you'd probably get approximately 6.684 Egyptian pounds to the Australian dollar, or if you paid nearly... Well, not quite 15 cents, you'd get one Egyptian pound. Perhaps so, I should head there. Well, I don't know what you're going to do with it, where you can spend it. But Now, let's have a look at our um, indices. The Australian All Ordinaries is 5,654. That's up six points for the whole week. And uh, if you look at it at the end of July, it's only moved about 40 points. And it's been up and down and up and down, like all the markets. Now, the Dow, 17,078. That's down 44 points for the week. The Nasdaq up three points to 4,572. The British FTSE 6,873, that's 43 points ahead. The biggest uh, in percentages was the Hang Seng, 1.6% ahead or 400 points to 25,317. And the Japanese Nikkei, very little change, up approximately 190 points to 15,728. And on the oil front, oil keeps Dropping, strange with all this war talk in the world and uh, fights around where all the oil is over in the Middle East. Our oil has come down a huge amount of 0.007 a cent. (laughs) Now the Central Coast is down 1.3. They're not still. We're still cheaper than them now. We used to be more expensive. That's uh, 1.3 cents to 153 per litre of unleaded. Diesel, Newcastle, 155.9, down a huge 0.003 of a cent. The Central Coast, down a half a cent to 156. And, of course, Sydney, it's down one and a half, just 1.6 cents to 135.7, with 137.3 last week, but that jumps all over the place. But their diesel is down a huge... 0.004 of a cent to 151. And the cheapest in the state, of course, again, is Grafton, 147.6. And if you're heading to Armadale, I suggest you top up beforehand because that's about 161 cents a litre. Now, mm. when you look at that, that's nearly 30, uh, 25 cents difference to Sydney, isn't it? And orange, of course, is quite uh, a lot below Newcastle. I don't know why. I really don't. Thursday finance is, though, and uh, Barry Preston. Time for a market snapshot. With of course, Jennings. very much so. And comments made during our program are for general discussion. You must always seek your own advice and a product disclosure statement should be obtained and considered before obtaining a financial product. Staff associated with Pritchard and Partners or BBY stockbrokers may hold or trade shares in companies mentioned on this program. Pritchard's Financial Services Licence, 246712, BBY 2380095. Well, Mr. Stevens keeps the rates on hold again, Henry. He does indeed. Hi, Barry, and hi to your listeners. Yes, Glenn Stevens came out with a much-anticipated do-nothing <laughs> on Tuesday, and I suspect we will get do-nothing from Mr. Stevens for some time to come. I think he's going for the record run of unchanged interest rates. So mm. um, I wouldn't be expecting too much. Canada was the same. I think they've gone 17 months now without a change. I think... Um we might see a dollar drop because of our terms of trade, which we'll look at in a minute. But before we do that, our market's at a six-year high. It is. It is. It's going well. Um, our market is, is doing remarkably well. It has been driven up by the, um, the so-called yield trades, which is where people are, are hunting for better returns than they currently get in the bank in terms of deposit rates. Um, and as a result, the, um, the, the perennial favourites, the banks and Telstra, have been very much the driving force in our market. Telstra is at uh, nearly $5.70, so, and that's ex-dividend. So they have been exceptionally strong, and, and the banks have all been strong as well. 
And, of course, when you look at some of these listed investment companies, they're trading well above their net asset. I was looking at one this morning. Its net asset was $2.21, yet it was trading at two seventy one. So you can see that people are paying much more for the stock, and it's only returning about 4.5%. So it's getting a little yeah. bit out of hand, I think, at the moment. That's Not my really sure why <laughs> you would buy dollar notes at $1.40. No, that's right. Would seem a bit strange. You can only ever get a dollar back. Mm. Um, but there you go. I guess there's the, the greater fool theory. Now the reporting season is near dead. How did you see it? Um, the reporting season was quite benign, really, quite good. But I guess the underlying problem we have is that most of the gains seem to have come from a cost out or cost cutting kind of um, environment, where companies are very keen to uh, to cut out as much as they can of the costs. Um, that usually is, involves people um, cutting them out. So um, that has been one of the, the big sort of uh, themes of the reporting season. That coupled with uh, increased dividend payments, which has made shares quite attractive. Um, but unfortunately, cutting costs and paying out cash is not a great long-term growth <laughs> strategy. <laughs> you can uh, only it does do have it. to end yeah. at some stage. And at the moment, that seems to be the companies are not particularly focusing on growth. They're very much focusing on short-term price gains driven by yields and that cost-cutting. So I'm not sure it's, uh, it's great for three or four years down the track. And, Henry, you and I have got to get involved in the most talked-about uh, non-event tax thing in history, the mineral resources rent tax being put to sleep. Yes. I mean, I've, any tax that is designed by the people that are actually supposed to be paying the tax is by, by its very virtue uh, going to fail. Um, and the, uh, the mineral resource rent tax was a, a, a dismal failure. Lovely idea. Um, a great idea to actually take some of the uh, extraordinary super profits uh, of the mining companies that were taking the resources out of, out of the ground and share some of that, um, share some of those profits, the super profits, with uh, the rest of the people that actually live in the country. Fantastic idea. Awful, awful implementation. And if you ask the mining companies to design their own tax, inevitably they won't pay any. <laughs> so that is what's happened. And I don't know why everyone's crowing about the end of the mining tax because no one ever paid anything anyway. It was only on iron ore and coal. And most of the, uh, the companies made sure that with the, all the upfront costs and depreciation, they never paid a cent. <laughs> So, oh dear, oh dear. I'm not sure why it's an absolute positive. No. Um, yeah. So anyway, Noni B is up for sale. What's yeah. this all about? Um, well, Noni B uh, is. Um I'm not even going to go down what sort of shop it is, but it certainly appeals to some, some of the, the more uh, middle-aged uh, ladies in the, in the world, and uh, they have been struggling big time, and as a result, they have fallen prey to uh, the dreaded vultures of private equity um, who have arrived on the scene and uh, are bidding 51 cents, and these are some of the old Babcock and Brown people oh. uh, from, uh, from way back who have got together and uh, raised some money for private equity fund and then are having a go at uh, Noni B. It has not been a, a, a massive success. The shares did get down as low as 36 uh, recently before they perked up um, as uh, either the, uh, the owner. The, they are, um, a majority of it is privately owned, mm. or a private family owns uh, the majority of the shares, 
um, and now private equity is going to take over the whole lot. Interesting. BHP, the chief executive, Mackenzie, informs that BHP future investments will focus on energy. Now, that's shale energy, of course. Now, once upon a time, that was a dirty word. I think the companies were Central Pacific and Southern Pacific up in Queensland. Now, oh, you have a long memory, Barry. I, well, somebody told me the other day. I'm quite young, actually. But the, anyway, that's interesting, isn't it? Energy. Now, having said that, I read somewhere that the Olympic Dam project over in South Australia, Western South Australia, could have 700 years of product in it, and it looks <laughs> it looks like they may reduce a lot of the uh, red tape to get into it. Well, I think um, you know that's one of the problems that we have at the moment in <laughs> in this country. Full stop is the amount of red tape that uh, projects have to go through to get approval. Um, sometimes that, that's a good thing, um, but sometimes it does um, tend to clog the system up. And certainly, um, you know, Olympic Dam is, is a massive, massive project. Um, and if uh, listeners remember, the, um, the the thing was put on the expansion anyway was put on hold. Uh, I think it was last yeah. last year. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it is a massive project, and, and obviously, if they can get it um, get it off the ground or continue to, to grow it, then that will be a big boost to South Australia. But um, interesting that BHP is not, after this current phase of expansion in its iron ore business, it is shifting its focus towards energy. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what that says, but there you go. Iron ore is at uh, a two-year low at the moment, Isn't around that? $85 a tonne. So he- that's up. our biggest export along with coal, which, is, again, is, is um, not doing too well either. No. Now, the Prime Minister talks of U-308, which is, of course, uranium. They're looking to do a deal with India, and it looks like the price of uranium is starting to go up. Well, yes. I mean, uranium took a, a massive bath, of course, when uh, Fukushima happened, when the, uh, the, the, um, the tsunami hit the nuclear power station in Japan. As a result, uh, all the nuclear plants in Japan were closed down, and that made uh, our coal people very happy because they were having to ship coal and uh, other fossil fuels to Japan instead of nuclear material. Um, and then, of course, there was the ramifications in Europe where all the Europeans decided they were going to close their power stations as well, uh, <laughs> even though the chances of uh, a tsunami hitting one in Germany were, were significantly less. Um, but, uh, but certainly now that Japan is starting to crank its nuclear power uh, business back up again, then that is helping the uranium price. And of course, India being uh, that sort of haven of one and a half billion people mm. um, is um, is looking for uh, for alternate sources of energy, and, and uranium is one of them. Mm, it'll be interesting. So, yeah, maybe we have seen the bottom of the uranium market. We'll, yeah. we'll see. This is Thursday Finance on to a new RFM and our market snapshot, Barry Preston. Henry, some analysts are saying that there are better returns possibly in that's income and growth investing offshore in the USA and the UK. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's certainly, Barry, the, um, the, the major um, sort of growth points in the world at the moment are certainly the US and the UK. Um, the rest of the world seems to be sort of stuck in a, in a low growth, in a low inflation environment. So um, I, I, I tend to agree, of course, it's, it's kind of difficult for Australian investors to get that exposure to US shares. It's not easy to buy Apple shares or Google or Alibaba. So it is quite, quite tricky to do it. Um, and one of the ways you can get some exposure through things uh, like exchange-traded funds um, and managed funds as well. So, but it's um, it's not an easy thing. But certainly, I would agree that you know at the moment, certainly the the economies from the US and the UK 
seem to be the ones that uh, are in growth mode, whereas the rest of us seem to be in a very slow lane compared to them. You mentioned last week that one of the greatest, or sorry, one of the worst things to be investing in airlines. Now, would you believe Indian Airlines, or I think it's called Indian Kingfisher Airlines, is in trouble and is looking for help to pay its fuel bill? Yeah, I'm at. You know, having said that, Qantas has, uh, you know, has done done very well in the last uh, uh, couple of uh, weeks or so since they announced that massive loss. They seem to have, uh, you know, they've risen from a dollar thirty to a dollar fifty-five. But, but certainly, you know, one of the biggest problems that airlines have is, uh, is their fuel bill, and it certainly seems to be coming home to roost for Kingfisher in India. But um, uh, it, it's it's a really hard thing, airlines. And I think even Warren Buffett sort of gave up the ghost on uh, investing in airlines, as he says, you know. A great way to make a small fortune is invest a large one in airline stocks. <laughs> I like that. It's a good comment, isn't it? The big USA banks, the investment banks here we're talking about, head yep. for Spain to buy property. Now, weren't the big USA investment banks buying cheap property in the USA and in, in uh, letting it uh, be rented out to the people who couldn't afford to buy? They're doing the same thing in Spain. They do look as if they I mean, the U.S. investment banks and people like uh, BlackRock have been the massive buyers of U.S. property. Um, and, and, you know, having got us into the mess in the first place, we're quite happy to pick up the, uh, pick up the scraps after the property market melted down in the U.S. Um, and as a result, they have done very well out of that. They're now turning their attention to Spain. And, of course, Spain had a massive property meltdown as well. Um, primarily due to the, um, I mean, a lot of the Spanish property was bought by um, UK investors, uh, people looking to retire there, and of course once the UK uh, fell in a heap, so did the, uh, the Spanish market as well, so, um, but it does seem as if they're back at the moment, and um, yeah, we'll wait and see, but certainly I, I had a friend that I met who suggested that Spanish property was a great investment at the moment, very, very cheap. Hmm. So we'll wait and see. But you've got to get a return on it. If it's cheap and you can't get a return, of course. You... Well, that, that's right. But, uh, you know, you've got to live somewhere. And, uh, as long as you pick the right areas, I guess, that's, that's um, always important with property because it is all about location, location, location. Talking about one of the big investment banks, Goldman Sachs says that China may adjust its gross domestic product figures to reach its target. Now, ooh, isn't that cooking the books? Yep. <laughs> It is, but they're their books, and they can cook them if they like. Um, They're not the only ones guilty of cooking the books. Um, There's a number of European countries that are are changing the way that they account for their GDP as well, um, which will help them, and they're including a lot of things that that, uh, seem a little strange. so I won't mention them on there because they, they're a little bit on the um, on the X-rated side, but they are including a lot of things like that, which is uh, promoting growth. So you know, I mean, China is, um, was, is a very much a command control economy, and if they want to change the way they count the beans, then I guess they can. I, I suppose at the end of the day, we will get used to a new system and we'll look through that. But um, it's certainly one way to keep that seven and a half percent growth rate happening, although it may not actually be transferred to what's really happening on the ground. And last but not least some of your favourite stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, um, and the Samsung, I believe, is bringing out a new uh, product. Yeah, well, Apple's due to announce its new iPhone, a Mark 7 
two, three, four, five uh, recurring on September the 9th. Um, but Samsung beat them to the uh, the punch last night with their new um, Galaxy uh, phone, which has got a bigger screen, better resolution, etc. Uh, it, it, I find it amazing now that uh, you know that, that a smartphone makes absolute world headlines around the world. They must have some <laughs> seriously good PR people, but it just shows you how much we've come to rely on these uh, these 21st century gadgets, these uh, these smartphones. So uh, Samsung did beat Apple to the punch, and as a result, the Apple share price took a big dive last night. Um, also, of course, Apple have been caught up in the, uh, the celebrity nude photo scandal. Oh, no. Um, which, uh, which a lot of people are attributing to their iCloud product, where uh, celebs, for some reason, unbeknownst to myself, uh, would upload their nude photos to the Apple environment and the iCloud, and then when it gets hacked, um, they start um, crying about it. So. Publicity. Yeah, I'm, mm. I'm not sure why you would upload your nude photos to a, to something like that, but there you go. And this iCloud, something I think we should be very careful of. Well, That's my it, opinion. it is. It is. It is, certainly is. I mean, there's an awful lot of uh, money going into encryption and firewall security for iCloud because in, in five years' time, everything will be on the cloud. Mm. Um, our lives will be on the cloud, and um, you'll be able to access your, your life from anywhere in the world. And the cloud, will it, what are we going to do on sunny days? Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Henry, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Keep safe. Now, you won't be here next week. Um, I won't be here. I'm going to be uh, on a marketing trip. Oh, enjoy it. Yes. To NURFM and Thursday Finance, Barry Preston, looking at aged care now. We certainly are. We must thank a local solicitor, Lynn Lucas, who has over two decades of experience in estate planning matters and is a consultant with Catherine Henry Partners of 57 Hunter Street, Newcastle. Lynn, we're looking today um, at aged care and a subject that one possibly, um, you try to push it out as long as you can, of course, to the last minute and then, bang, a rush. So are there benefits in early planning for aged care? Yes, well, you'll know my answer to this, and it is definitely <laughs> um, early planning. Just pretend you're a Boy Scout and, and be prepared. Mm. Uh, it's really important uh, that we organise these things before we get too old and certainly before we go into aged care because most of those facilities are required to see copies of a, of a will and a, um, enduring guardian and power of attorney. So it's, it's really important that you get those things organised um, early in the piece and the same as financial um, planning as well um, as a lawyer I can't give financial advice but this is where we depend on other uh, financial planners to provide um, advice to clients about the Centrelink um, issues, how they're going to pay their expenses when they're in aged care and a number of other financial um, matters it's in, it's interesting. It's, it's something that everyone puts off because you think, well, okay, aged care, oops, uh, you know, you're getting towards the end of uh, of, the, of living on the planet, and it's something we we tend to do, but we shouldn't really, I suppose, for the benefit of ourselves. Now, moving on, as usual, the only thing permanent is change, and I believe there are changes in or on the way concerning the government's living longer, living better. Yes, that's that's exactly right. There, there haven't been many changes in aged care legislation since about 1997. So, uh, so this is, is really long overdue, and the government calls the initiative "Living Longer, Living Better," and uh, this is uh, this is coming into place 
uh, well, one section I think started last year, but certainly uh, for um, aged care services, it's it's coming into it's come into place from the first of July this year. So, who is impacted with this? Well, existing aged care clients are, are not affected. They're, they're able to just continue under their current arrangements. So the impact will be on new recipients um, of aged care services as from the 1st of July this year. Yeah, so look, no doubt uh, some of the changes will be subtle, but what are, what are the key ones, of course? One of the things we should look at more in detail. Yeah, well, the, the key changes are um, that over a period of about five years from, I think it's July 2012 to June 2017, um, the reforms are going to deliver more support and care at home, um, additional home and residential care places, and there's to be a focus on greater consumer choice and control and greater recognition of diversity and support to carers. So we're looking really at people who are wanting to remain in their homes rather than going into aged care and how that can be done um, by, by having either carers or outside businesses who provide the services that are required. Apart from the financial aspect of it, it must have a, a greater benefit on a person's outlook and attitude because they can stay where they are and they're, and they're used to living there sort of thing. Well, this is exactly right, and and people today are living longer, uh, thanks to better health and health care. So, you know, the government really needs to make some fundamental changes to ensure that the system is going to be sustainable and affordable, and uh, and people are going to have choice and and have control really um, more than they have in the past uh, as to the sorts of services that they that they want. And is there any specific reason why that's changing? Is it just purely because we're living longer or from a financial point yes. of view? Yeah, that's, that's basically it. The people are living longer. I mean, this, this generation is certainly going to be living longer than their parents um, and, and there's going to be more services available to them. And, um, you know, the traditional image of aged care is often associated with residential aged mm. care. Um, but most people prefer to stay independent if they can and remain in their home. They've got connections to family and community for much uh, longer. Mm. And uh, that's, that's the preference these days if, if it's possible to be done. And, of course, it'd be less costly to a certain extent too, I suppose, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, this is exactly right. Mm. I mean, um, for, for people to go into aged care is, is quite a cost. Um, obviously, a lot of them have to have to pay out of their um, uh, their um, income. Mm. But but that's another change too. That there will be means testing for aged care based on income for home care mm -hmm. and on combined income and assets. For residential care. Well, it has and, to be. Uh, hmm. Yes, and, hmm. and new residents um, of aged care facilities are going to be assessed for their eligibility um, to pay an accommodation payment. Um, now that the distinction between low and high care is removed, we used to have the low care and high care, hmm. um, that's, that's now removed and everyone's just assessed on the type of um, aged care that they will be needing.
Yeah, I think we have to pay our way to a certain extent because we can't rely on the taxpayer, of course, all the time. Thursday Finance and at 6 to 1, we are talking about aged care, Barry Preston. We certainly have. We've got a couple of little questions running out of time, of course, as always catches up with us. We've got Lynn Lucas, a consultant with Catherine Henry Partners of Hunter Street, Newcastle. Lynn, no doubt many of us will be interested in this subject. Where do we get information? Well, there's a very good government website called www.myagedcare.gov.au and that's quite comprehensive. You, you can get heaps of information from that one. And it's a simple website, My Aged Care. Yeah, wow. My Aged Care, all one word, all lowercase, yes. Yeah, very good. Well, there everybody. There's uh, one place to go. Now, Lynn, as we know, there will be times when there will be some family disputes. It happens all the time. And, of course, this is a major lifestyle uh, style change. And I know you are probably heading off to the USA in the next three months or so to find out a little bit more about this. Now, um, what's, what, are, what are we looking at here when you say with disputes, family disputes, to learn a lot more about this? Yes, well, unfortunately, there quite often are family disputes when it comes to uh, the care of an aged person. Uh, disputes maybe between siblings. Um, so one wants to look after dad's financial affairs and uh, another one wants to decide where mum or dad are going to, to go into aged care. So they, they often do come up and, uh, I, I mean mediation to me, and I've been doing mediation for, for 20 odd years, um, is a growing tool to assist in resolving disputes. And courts are using mediation more and more, sending litigants along to mediation. It, it basically um, cuts the time down uh, and nips in, in the bud the, the disputes and, uh, and hopefully it's, uh, it, it can resolve it uh, because some of them can get quite nasty. Some of them um, with uh, older people can also turn into court matters. <laughs> and um, we, we certainly don't want that to happen as we, we're getting older. We, we just want a little bit of peace and quiet. Mm. And America and Canada are streets ahead of us um, in, in this area. They do a lot of elder mediation. And um, I need some specialised training in that. Right. And I can't get that in Australia. So We look forward to uh, extracting it all from you when you come back from uh, wherever you... I think it's the USA you're heading. It now, is. And again, the more we talk and the more we communicate with one another, the less chance of wars, and I'm talking even about family disputes, even oh, look, on a global basis. Absolutely, and it really does all boil down to that planning in the early stages. And uh, if you've got all these things planned out, you talk to your family about what you want to do uh, so that they understand what your wishes are. That's that's, that's a really mm. important part. Okay, Lynn, thank you very much indeed. Um, and uh, we'll probably be talking before you go, but uh, certainly when you come back, we'll find all out all about it. Thank you very My much pleasure. indeed. Thank you. Keep safe. Lynn Lucas, local solicitor. And that's a Thursday finance for today. Thank you. Thank you, Barry Preston, and we'll do it all again next Thursday after the midday news. Thanks very much, everybody. Keep safe.